Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alastair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. Yeah, it's very interesting, uh, the uh, chanting, the Om Sam particularly. Um, a friend of mine who is a yoga a teacher, not as good as Kirsty, Another, another yoga teacher was saying that um, she did some research when she was teaching, she loved chanting. And she was saying that uh, there's some evidence that uh, chanting or singing is a way that our, our right brains connect uh, without the mediation of the left brain. So the right brain is more holistic, more attuned to the whole, and the left brain is more analytic, looking at the details. And typically in our culture, we're very left brain orientated. We're all about words and concepts and thoughts. And uh, many of these somatic practices are at, about opening up our awareness of the, of the right brain. And so chanting is a way that our right brains connect. It's a way that uh, we can connect right brain to right brain with other people. So I thought that was really interesting. And then another interesting piece is this idea that when we make a sound in the world, we are sending a signal into the sort of self-looping signal of our system of our body. We're sending a signal that it's safe. We don't make a sound when we're in danger, when we're, you know, there's, there's danger or panic. We, stay, we hold our breath, we go, and we hold our breath. And that triggers a whole chain of chemistry in our body about panic, adrenaline, cortisol, stress, which is correct. This is what should happen, because when there's danger, we need all, those chemistry, all that chemistry. But the trouble is, we're living in a world that constantly triggers that for no reason. You know, we read a newspaper article about something that's happening in the political world or uh, in, you know, in our local area, and it triggers a whole sense of danger and worry and anxiety that's not actually ours. We were feeling fine until we picked up the newspaper. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, and boom! Our body's in this kind of rictus of uh, panic. And because we walk through a world where we're bombarded from advertising and like news and social media, we're bombarded by triggers that um, activate our nervous system, it gets stuck. It gets stuck in this kind of tense, um, panicky, rigid, drenched in cortisol, drenched in adrenaline. And these things are very bad for our health. Too much cortisol over a long period is very bad for us. But also it's terrible for our sense of being. Because the very nature of that triggering is tunnel vision. You know, when we are activated, the whole point of like, that activation, that biological activation, is to get us out of that danger. So we don't look at the details, we don't worry about the nuances, we just run, we fight. It's very black and white. And that's correct. You know, if your, your child is running out in front of a bus, you don't think, oh, it's a nice bus, I wonder what number it is. You, you jump, it happens so fast. Um, and so that's correct, but the thing is, we don't need it all the time. It's, it's, an, it's a kind of terrible distortion of the use of the body 
that we're left in this permanent state of high arousal. And one of the, one of the features of high arousal is um, irrational thought, of just a kind of spray of energy into our thinking mind that doesn't really make any sense. It's just like noise. And so as we tense, we will find that we have more crappy thoughts. And as we relax, we should notice that those crappy thoughts start to recede because they're actually a function of tension. So making a sound signals to the, to the brain, oh, we must be safe because we don't make sounds when we're in danger. So arming and ahhing and ah, all of these sounds are ways of freeing the system up from the cortisol and the adrenaline and metabolizing it into more um, open-hearted chemistry like oxytocin or endorphins. This is a great uh, piece, actually, that we'll be revisiting a lot later on when we start to look at the posture of um, sitting, the sitting posture. The, the, uh, the mouth and the jaw play an absolutely central role in that, that posture. So it's great that we're starting to be aware of it. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, it's, a, it's often a revelation to think that evolutionarily speaking, the jaw is a weapon. If you think about dogs, you know, they bite. And you know, we, we are mammals and we, we used our teeth to bite people that we didn't like. <laughs> and so um, a, lot of these, a lot of these physiological tensions in the jaw, in the shoulders, mirror what you know, animals do when they're under attack. So they bare their teeth and their hackles rise. And so if we walk around all the time like... <laughs> this is, uh, this is the, the body uh, displaying the chemistry and the physiology of anger, of rage. And anger and rage is really, really important. They're a really important part of surviving as a, as a being. But they shouldn't be there all the time. So we can relax them from the body out by uh, softening the jaw and lowering the shoulders. And again, we'll notice that has a profound effect on the sort of thoughts we have and the sort of emotions that we have also. Yeah, and that's a really important thing to acknowledge because making noise uh, does draw attention to ourselves. So it activates those systems of our body that are about embarrassment and social um, triggering. And so that's perfectly natural and perfectly normal and really important to honor that it's not a mistake. You know, most of us walk around pretty anxious about each other. You know, we may have a, good, we have a good game face, and we're like, hi. <laughs> but, you know, fundamentally, underneath it all, you know, we are organisms that are having to share a space with another organism that might kill us, that might steal from us, that might destroy us. And so our fundamental, um, you know, the backbone, if you like, of our you know, neurobiology is always erring towards suspicion. So when we feel embarrassed about drawing attention to ourselves, this is really important. 
and actually very honest to notice that. Um, there is, you know, there's a, there's a layer and through which we can pass, and that layer is really the, the, the layer of safety. When we start to feel safe on the island, start to face, feel safe in the group, and that takes time. You know, a lot of people have been here before and are already kind of grooving on the vibe of the island and the group. But particularly if you're new to retreat, and particularly if you haven't been on one of these retreats, it's, it's very astute to notice that sense of uh, social embarrassment or uh, self-awareness. And that's really important. So thank you for bringing it. Yeah, it's really important. And it's funny that Reggie was talking about this at the retreat recently. It's really important to let yourself sleep. This may seem like, oh, I wasn't expecting him to say that. But, um, you're right, Mary. Um, Especially in these first few days of retreat, you are going to discover layers of tiredness and fatigue that you did not know you had. And it's very, very important that you let go into them. Don't think, right, I've got to be totally awake and alert. The, the key to all of this practice, and not, not particularly this practice, but all meditation really, is about honoring what is going on for you. Not trying to make it something different, not trying to fit some template, not trying to be a good meditator or a good Buddhist or a good Christian or whatever your particular template might be. It's about honoring what is going on for you. Even if what is going on for you seems bad. And this is particularly true later on in the retreat when you may start to feel a lot of emotion coming up. Whatever comes up is sacred. Shogyun Trumpa, who was Reggie's teacher, and Reggie's my teacher, he used to say, and really the cornerstone of his teaching was, all mind states are workable. Everything that a human being experiences is something that we can turn towards and work with. Nothing that we experience is wrong or out of place. And we need as much as possible, and it's very difficult, so I don't imagine you're going to do it straight away, but we need as much as possible to lay off the self-judgment, lay off the, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, and just go with whatever's arising. So if you are lying there and, he's, and I'm droning on, and like, you're like, oh, God, I'm so exhausted. I'm going to drift off. <laughs> just go with it. Drift off into sleep. That's much better than like fighting and like, oh, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Because, because that, A, is going to freak your neighbor out, and B, <laughs> B it's, it's a waste of energy. It's much better. You, you go into a deep, deep sleep, and the chances are, after about a minute, you'll wake up again completely refreshed. Or you may have dreamed something, or something may come to you. But treating your experience as something sacred that's arising is the key to this practice, and all in my, my mind, all meditation practice. It's very difficult because we're conditioned to absolutely hate most of what happens to us. But we need to sort of soften that. We need to turn towards our experience, even if it feels like it's wrong. So please snore away. 
the sleeping thing is a very interesting one because there are occasions where we do what's known as neurotic sleeping. So we're lying here, we're completely awake, we're really with it, and suddenly we think about our brother who's really you know, a huge thorn in our side, or we think about our ex, or we think about something that's really painful, some memory comes up, and then boom, you fall asleep. So in that instance, the sleeping is a kind of exiting. It's a kind of turning away from the, the state of mind. And it's difficult to control that because it happens very fast. But as Sophie said, if we can be aware of a natural arising of sleep, something that's just coming out of our being because we're so fatigued, then we can stay with that and stay with it, and we may even go into it, but we're not exiting the experience. We're staying with it. It's a really, it's a fine line. But sometimes we can be pretty aware, I think, what is neurotic sleep and what is actual nourishing sleep. The body is constantly offering up these conundrums. I don't know if you are familiar with the Zen practice of koans. Koans. Is, in Zen practice, there are two different schools. One, one works with koans, which are these really puzzling, seemingly illogical statements, like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? <clears throat> and the idea is you sit there and you're like... Oh, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And you kind of, you just puzzle it over, puzzle it, and then suddenly it opens up a space. And I think the body is often offering us koans like this. So in your case, it's the, 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 this holding in the lower back. And for, my, for me, it was this, this kind of curling of my left shoulder. I've spoken about that before. And you sort of just, you have to kind of work with them, and they can take years to reveal themselves. And you're like, yep, that's still there. Any, any insights on that? And, uh, it doesn't all happen at once. It can sometimes all unravel. But I think, I think those patterns, particularly if they started earlier in life, they're so um, submerged in our kind of unconscious holding that we can't consciously touch them. They come through relaxation and they come through uh, awareness growing. So we just have to be patient, I think, with those ones. But they're wonderful, they're wonderful kind of mysteries. Because you know there's something there, but you're just not sure what it's going to be. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again for more podcasts from MindSprings. You can find out more about us and our work at mind-springs.org That's mind-springs.org